This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here with Michael McKean, who is on his day off, and I'm very excited he came and blessed us with his presence. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. You're just down the block from me. Wow. I'm glad I could make it convenient. Mm-hmm. We're here in the uh, the digital media bar studio with old vinyl records. Makes it, that makes it sound like a ranch, um, a bar e- studio. Everyone here in this in this room is excited to see you. In case... People don't know who you are. Let's explain. You're on television right now. You're yeah, in theater, uh, long career in movies. You star in Better Call Saul, which is on I'm, air now. I am in that show. That you're, is correct. You're in a Broadway show called Little Foxes. I am in Little Foxes at the Friedman, yeah. You've been in many movies. I have. One of which everyone knows is This is Spinal Tap, mm-hmm. many of the other Christopher Guest movies, yep. uh, a season of Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do the entire Wikipedia or Good. entire IMDb. Good, yeah. Just to set context here. Okay. Uh, and Clue. Clue. Obviously Which, Clue. So let's do an hour obviously on Clue. Obviously Clue. Clue was a big flop uh, when it came out, <laughs> but it became a – it's a movie that almost everyone references with me now when I run into really? people. Oh, my Is God. it a millennial thing? There are cluesies, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. unaware. So that'll be yeah. a second episode of this podcast. <laughs> okay. For this one, I'm I'm not exactly sure when this is going to air, but I know that I just saw the last episode that aired of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Chicanery is the name of the yeah. episode. And this is the big Michael McKean this is episode. The, this is the episode where Michael McKean did, got no naps at so, all. So I don't want to spoil it. It's a weird thing to do for mm-hmm. 2017 because people are watching on <laughs> demand, but this is a courtroom episode. Not technically a courtroom, essentially a courtroom. You make a reference to it saying this is not Perry Mason, but it's it's kind of Perry Mason. Mm -hmm. But you've been doing this show now three seasons. Right. I assume this is sort of the big episode for you. Well, yeah. It's it's funny because when you do this job, the last three years I have made a 10-hour movie each year. And that's kind of how they feel to me because there's a nice stretch of time between the shooting. So I kind of know what went on in season one and I know what went on in season two. I'm not really sure what went on in season three because I've only seen three episodes. You know, I'm way behind in my viewing. I haven't caught up, as they say. But they show you the scripts. Oh, I know what season, I know. Right? Yeah. Essentially, yeah. what happens? I know. I even know what happens in the tenth in the tenth episode. Well, I want to hear about that. No, you don't. Okay, don't spoil it. <laughs> but when they when they bring this to you and they say, "Here you go," do you go, "Oh, this is what I've been working for for three years. This is." I have found I that get I to chew everything now. I. <laughs> I, things rise and diverge. And as long as everything makes sense, I don't think of it in terms of, oh, here's a big episode for me. I just know, like I say, I, I'm not going to get a lot of days off here to cruise around the malls of, um, of Albuquerque. You, you've, been, you've been acting for many years. I have. When you see the script for something like this in advance, do you mm-hmm. go, oh, this, I know this is going to work? Or do you think, I don't know how it's going to work until no. we're done? No, because it's, it's you know, the risk of sounding like a cliche, which I am, it's, it, it's, it's about the process. So it, it really is, I, I know I'm going to be, it's going to be a long week and I'm going to have a lot to do. And I think I know what needs to be done. And as things continue and as I work toe-to-toe with whoever, with Bob or Ray Seahorn or John Getz, who's one of our guests in, in, in the, uh, that particular episode, you know, just day by day, you say, well, I think we got one. I think we got a good got a good day in. Tomorrow we'll continue. And because there was so much, so much dialogue in that scene, in that long, long scene, you know, it was, it was that, that was the kind of work it was. It and was, do, you, do you lie down and, and have a breather after filming something like that? Or do no. Because at the pace of TV, you just got to go back into it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not a great sleeper anyway. So I can, I can have a real long day. I can have a 14-hour day of, you know, intense work. 
and then get home and, you know, <laughs> just me and TCM so long it's a, into the night. It's a little frustrating to not be able to talk about it the way I want to talk about it. Um, and we were talking before we started taping that you're not very interested in sort of the mechanics of how this stuff gets to people. Um, well, how it's sold to people. How it's sold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is airing on conventional TV. It's not like Netflix where they're right. dropping all 10 episodes at once. Mm-hmm. But I think the way a lot of people consume TV these days is they there's not an expectation that you're going to watch it week to week. I, I watched the last four episodes in, in the week and partly because I was going to see mm-hmm. you. And I and I love the show, but in other circumstances, I might have waited right, know, right. six months or more to, to catch up on the whole season. Mm-hmm. Does that matter to you, sort of how people consume this, when they consume no, it? No, I, I, it can't because I'm, I'm working on Chuck McGill. I'm not working on anybody else. They don't even exist in Chuck McGill's world. Because it's filmed. Because set ten years ago, yeah. Because it's make believe. Because it's pretend. Thank (laughs) you. Um, So you're not thinking about whether or not someone's going to consume this in a year. No, it's kind of not my department. Yeah. Um, And if they do, I mean, listen, I've had. uh, I'm running into people now who say they just started watching the show, right? And they're really digging it, and they'll watch two or three at a time, and they're enjoying it, and that's fine with me. You know, I'm. I kind of watched week to week, like I told you. I'm, I'm I'm a little bit behind now. I haven't. I've only seen the first three episodes. Well, I watched. I watched all five now. They're yeah, good. You should keep going. Okay. All right, I will. Yeah, no, no, I will. It's just uh, my wife and I have been kind of two to two separate places, and uh, and it's we like to watch together and or watch with the girls. Or, you know. Did you ever do the thing where you watch the episode but you don't want to tell your spouse and then you pretend you haven't seen it? No, not with my. There's stuff, probably I some haven't. term for it. Yeah. No, my wife is on. It was on um, Halt and Catch Fire. And we watched the first two episodes, and she says, I'm in the third one. So I said, well, let, well let, let's watch the third one. And she said, no, I don't think I want to see it. <laughs> she's very strange like that. Very specific. No, oh. yeah. It's, it, it's like she just, you know, she's, it was, it's very odd. You know? And Breaking Bad was one of these shows that I think, at least in the telling of it, uh, caught on sort of after it had aired and yes. when it was on Netflix and when it was on demand. Did, yeah. you, did you watch it that way? I did. Well, I first, I started watching the show. And, and Better Call Saul is the prequel yes, right. to Breaking Bad. But if you didn't know that, you're probably not listening to this episode. <laughs> but no, I, I, I started watching Breaking Bad. I really liked it a lot. And then I had a job, and I, I was in a place. I was staying in a place. I was subletting, and I couldn't record anything there. So I was sunk. So I kind of got out of uh, – and uh, Vince Gilligan, I happened to have a conversation with Vince Gilligan, and he said, no, I'll send you some – got to do your Vince Gilligan. I'll send you some episodes. I'll send you some DVDs. So uh, he'd send me some DVDs, and I and I kind of got caught up that way. And then whenever that would happen, I kind of you know fell out of the viewing uh, after a while. And but I, boy, when they started appearing on Netflix, I said, yeah, I'm going to go back to the beginning. And I went back and I watched on a string and caught up. And then I was watching week to week. Do you your preference? Would you rather watch something unfold week to week, or do you want to? It depends on what it is. Yeah. really. There's this great British show called Happy Valley which is a British crime show. It's one of their genres. Yeah, and it's, 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 there's only, there's two episodes, they're, they're, they've shot another one and we haven't seen it yet. But uh, Annette and I really kind of got into, oh, let's do another one, let's, let's, let's put another one on. And we really like that, you know, it kind of gangs up on you, yeah. you know. So then after you watch three of them, you go, holy hell, <laughs> you know, and you really kind of take a breather there. So it depends on what it is, really. A little more business, and I think you already told me you're not really interested in, in or you're, you're not, you don't even know. But I'm assuming, because we're halfway through the third season, this is the upfront season right now as we're speaking. Mm-hmm. Everyone's telling advertisers, you got to come sign up for our shows next fall. But AMC has not told you whether the show is coming back? 
I don't hear anything officially, and if I your publicist if, here, Courtney, who works at AMC, has got she, a smirk. See, no, no, that's that's her. I don't know any more than you do, Michael. Oh, smirk. not a smirk. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's more of a smurf than a smirk, actually. But I'm assuming you'd like to come back. It's a it's a good gig, right? As these gigs go, I, I like working with Vincent Peter. I like working with Bob Odenkirk. I've had a lovely time, and Kesara, uh, Sara. You do stage. You do- uh, movies, TV, preference for any of them? I'm having more fun on stage now than anywhere else. I get a, kind of a special gig because we have uh, Laura Linney and Cynthia Nixon and they're... This alter- is in Little Foxes. Little Foxes, and they're alternating roles. So it's kind of a historical thing. You know, it's happened before. They've had, they've had, there have been actors who've alternated in roles. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller did it with Frankenstein, to, to kind of a two-person two Frankenstein. And exactly, yeah, yeah with uh, John and, and uh, Phil Hoffman. And uh, it, so it's, but it's always men. And I, I, we can't find anywhere where this is, where it's referenced that both, uh, you know, that, that women have been alternating like that. So it keeps us on our toes. So that's novelty for you. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're two amazing actresses. And the rest of the cast is a lot of fun. And we've all become really close. What's your, what's your sense of a, a New York theater audience in 2017? Do you think it's different than it used to be? or, or Well, they're spending more ones? money. They're richer or they have more disposable income. We had a prop newspaper that we were using uh, on the, uh, on the, uh, in the rehearsal hall. And it was made up of chunks of old um, New York Times stuff mimeographed or not whatever you call it just printed up and uh it was from 1967 when i was here i was going to school here in new york city and they just there was a a story on the arts page that they were raising the minimum price on tickets to see fiddler on the roof the original production fiddler on the roof with zero mustel they were raising it to six dollars (laughs) and 95 cents so to the cheapest seat was now had now gone up like fifty cents, and everyone was going, "Oh!" So that's kind of it's a so, different so they, world. They have more money. Do you have a sense that because they're watching Netflix or looking at Snapchat on their phone or any any of the modern distractions that the audience that comes to a theater has a different expectation about what that should no, be? I don't think so. I, I, in in our case, yeah, I did hairspray uh, for six months right after Harvey Firestein. And I went back periodically because friends of mine would be in the show and I'd go and see. And I saw George Went do it. It was like toward the end of, of the run. George Went to play Edna. And I was surrounded by people who had seen the movie, uh, who were talking loudly to one another during dialogue, during musical numbers and everything about how different than the movie it was. And I wanted to kill them all. Yeah. I wanted to firebomb the auditorium. Uh, you know, it's sort of like, that's not what you do with the theater. You're supposed but to. But it's what they did. Well, that's what they did in that case. And I guess it's just a matter of, uh, you know, who are you appealing to? Um, I mean, I saw Hamilton. The audience was very respectful, but it was very much a communal thing. And it was fairly early on in the run, but, but clearly there were people who'd gone multiple times right. and were singing. And it was a play, but it was also I saw Rent the last week of its uh, of its New York run. So that's a different thing too, right? Well, it was yeah, it was like it was like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was like everybody was do- singing along, everybody was dancing in the aisles, mimicking the dances, things. And, you but know. you get what it is, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it was fine until the intermission, and and I went home. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so you you're you. We were seeing it for a reason. My 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 wife was doing a play at Playwrights Horizon, which referenced the, the show. So we we went to to see it. 
And it was I, – I don't know. just not my cup of tea. So if you go see Michael McKean and Little Foxes yeah. running through July. July 2nd, yeah. Pay attention. Stay well, quiet. Yeah, do what you want. Don't speak up. No, just – yeah, shut the hell up. Shut up. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Turn your phone off. We do occasionally get a phone, but they've been really good. The matinee audiences have been amazing. And I don't know whether it's just because the play is – they think the play is going to be kind of an old-fashioned play. And it, it is. It's, it's a 1939 play. But it's also kind of red hot emotionally. And I just think people are kind of gripped by it and they're being really good. And, you know, we haven't had too many phones and, you know, very few heart attacks. So if you guys are listening Why to this. Why am I laughing at heart attacks? That's terrible. hilarious. Damn. If, if you guys are listening to this, do not check your phone. We don't want you skipping past these messages from our fine advertisers. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk about Clue for another half hour. <laughs> See you in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by Willis Towers Watson. Cybersecurity is one of the greatest threats any business faces. Last year, more than 400 million new malware threats were released and more than half a billion personal records are breached. Businesses spend $100 billion a year on cyber technology, but cybersecurity is as much about employee behaviors as it is the tech. The average network breach can cost $4 million in company losses. That's why you need to know about Willis Towers Watson. They understand the only comprehensive approach to cybersecurity is to deal with all of it, your people, your capital, and your technology risks. Willis Towers Watson decodes all that complexity. It is complex. Through a comprehensive three-stage approach, they assess the cyber risks throughout your business. They protect your company with best-in-class solutions. And they improve your ability to recover from future attacks. You can learn more about what Willis Towers Watson can do for you at willistowerswatson.com recode. That's willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Today's show is also brought to you by HostGator. Are you ready to take your website to the next level? Whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. If you need a boost in hosting power, they can do that too. HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Recode listeners get 60% off. That's 6-0. It's a lot. Go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator, like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R, dot com slash Recode. We're back here with Michael McKean for part two of Clue Talk. The joke gets funnier each time I make it. It's really... I bet you there's a website or yeah. two yeah. that are just Clue websites. Just I believe about you. about the movie. I believe you. BuzzFeed had an enormous article. It was half the size of War and Peace, about the, this movie. And mainly it was about how puzzled Jonathan Lynn, the director of Clue, is that this flop has become the most famous thing that he's done. I mean, he did My Cousin Vinny. He did a lot of big hit movies, you know. But it's it just, he doesn't get it. When, when did you become aware that the Clue had a second life? Uh, late 80s, yeah. when it started being a big home video thing. And I was getting recognized a lot by kids. You know, and uh, it's just continued. A lot of people grew up on it, and, you know, it was good, it's a good rainy day movie. So in my world, when I think of Michael McKean movies that were not successful in the theater and then had a huge second life, I think it was Final Lap, which I actually did see in the movie theater. Uh-huh. Good for you. The the guy, I remember. What part mom, of the world? Uh, Minnesota. Really? My mom took me, and I remember the, the clerk or whoever takes tickets said, you sure you want to go to this? No one wants to see this. There's a Conan <laughs> movie with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan movie. You could go see that instead. And we went... I think about half the jokes were in my head. Loved it, um, and obviously have loved it ever since. When did you figure out that that thing was picking up post movie? Well, that post, film came out came out in forty eight. Uh, forty eight. <laughs> <laughs> it was inspired by a sketch we did in nineteen forty eight. Came out in eighty four, 
and uh, it it was a it was a strange thing because it, it ran at a one theater in Boston for a year, and it couldn't open in Detroit. No one went to see it in, in Detroit. It was, it was popular in in L.A. It was popular in New York, Chicago. We had a little audience, but for the most part, it was not a big success. Yeah. You know, it's a low it was a low budget movie. It was, you know, didn't have any huge stars in it. You know, it was like. Uh, um, it, it was kind of, you know, drop, drop your money down here. We'll entertain you. You don't know what we're doing here, but we're, we're going to entertain you. And uh, it just, it took on its second life, I think, largely because a lot of rock and roll people started talking about it. When did you start hearing this movie we made a couple of years ago that no one went to see? It turns out that so-and-so likes it. And... Well, we started hearing that right away, yeah. but that didn't really kind of turn into numbers until... It became apparent that a lot of a lot of music people had it on their buses and and were you know were kind of felt referenced by it and uh, and warm to it. So this movie set the template for lots of these mockumentaries, many of which mm-hmm. are made by Christopher Guest. Right. And the way they're almost almost always described is these are mostly improvised. Yeah. Nuts of a sort of a scene, and then you guys do this brilliant sort of on the spot. Uh, stuff, which is great. I was Googling around and saw uh, like a 20-minute demo right. you guys had made yeah. a couple years earlier. Yep. And I was, I was really surprised because so many of those scenes are in right. the actual movie. Yeah. So you went back and sort of remade them with the same dialogue? Mm, it was more like this 20-minute version was a kind of a demo of the process. We didn't want to write a screenplay. Someone had given us some money to write a screenplay. Not a ton, but it was just an experiment. We were with... We were with a company. They were actually going to do this film. But we said, rather than write a screenplay, we want to show you what we want to do. So we made this 20-minute mi- thing, all improvised, but, you know, with five songs, I think, and a couple of big gags that we, you know, that we kind of... Said, with Harry Shearer walking works. through the, 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 metal the metal detector. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we had Richard Belzer instead of Paul Schaefer. Um, it, it was it was just it was just who, who was available to work for free during during an actor's uh, an actor strike I think or a writer strike something. Uh, yeah, it was it was funny. What we wound up with was a sales tool that kind of got us uh, in the door at Embassy Pictures, and, uh, and that's who made the film. Do you think about? Uh, I always like to bring things to 2017. Do you think what 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 happens if you wanted to make that movie today? Is it much easier because you just take an iPhone and scrapped together, you know, you don't, you don't need a script at all. Well, you need a script, right? Right. But you, presumably you would need fewer resources to make that movie, but it may not get any distribution at all. Um, that's quite possible. It is different now. But then again, you know, uh, 50 years ago or so, uh, you know, Paul Simon went into a studio and made The Boxer and took forever and spent a lot of money on this one single and then put it out and they did very well and of course the next album that came out was a big hit and all that stuff that's how it worked then but you can't spend a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it would be in, in the equivalent money now unless you want on to incinerate that cash yeah unless you're paul allen or someone who's just yeah. got, got as much money as they want and feel like playing the guitar you know it's it's a, it's a different world can we play a second of one of your most famous scenes? I do not for one think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. All right? That tended to understate the hugeness of the object. I really think you're just making a much too big a thing out of it. Making a big thing out of it would have been a good idea. Nigel gave me a drawing that said 18 inches, all right? I know he did, and that's what now, I'm talking about. Whether he knows the difference between feet and inches is not my problem. 
I do what I'm told. But you're not as confused as him, are you? I mean, it's not your job to be as confused as Nigel is. It's my job to do what I'm asked to do by the creative element of this band. And that's what I did. The Come audience on. were laughing. So it became a comedy number. I yes, it did. Yes, it fucking well did. And it was not pleasant to be part of the comedy on stage. Backstage, perhaps, it was very amusing. Well, maybe we just fix the choreography and keep the dwarf clear. What do you mean? Same old trod upon it. So... People must recite this stuff to you daily, right? So um, I'm, I'm not going to play it for you instead. Occasionally. Do you grow tired of people having quoting uh, no. Stonehenge or anything else to you? No, not really. I didn't even set that up because I know that everyone listening <laughs> no. to that understands what they just heard. Yeah. Uh, how, so how much of that dialogue do you recall being improvised? All of it. All of it. All of From it. ground one. They just yeah. said the bit yeah, is... Yeah, it's the situation. This is, this is, we had this debacle with the, 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 the mini Stonehenge, and this was a, a band meeting. And it was the band meeting that resulted in uh, in the firing of uh, Ian Faith, their manager. So we knew that's what had to happen. They knew that this had come to a boil on stage. This is the, the you know, this is just post-climax. And kind of that's what happens in the scenes. So and how many versions of that action. do you think you record? Probably three. And it was mainly for camera position, yeah. you know, because we were doing it like a like it was a handheld documentary like it was uh, you know. so it's not because one of the things i remember hearing about spinal tap is that you guys have recorded hundreds and hundreds of hours and the, the two and a half we've seen is, is whittled down and so there's i'm assuming there's many many other takes but you're saying no you guys yeah. really know what you're doing yeah because at, at the you know job one was to to put everything into it to make a, an assemblage that that had a chronological version a a, a told story using everything but there was tons of stuff that just wasn't going to go in there. Cherie Curry of The Runaways was an actual character in the movie. She's the, she's the singer, the, one of the bands that opens for them on the road and bangs everybody in, the, in our band <laughs> except the drummer. <laughs> you know, so it was like it was, it was one of those things that, that if you have a little bit of it, you got to have more. So they had to pare it back that way. And we wound up with a 90-minute movie, which is a good length for a comedy in, in everyone's opinion, really. It's, it seems like you guys created that genre of, of comedy, that, that mockumentary. Was there something you were modeling it after? We, we, we saw a lot of the real thing. Right. You know, we watched the, the Led Zeppelin movie. We watched a, a couple of Grateful Dead documentaries, Last Waltz, of course. Uh, which is kind of where we got to the, the, the presence of Rob Reiner, uh, of Rob Reiner's character, the guy having a little screen time. Mm -hmm. That was kind of lifted from Marty Scorsese in, in uh, uh, Last Waltz. Um, we never quite got to the levels of pretension that the Led Zeppelin movie had with the, you know, with knights and wizards and shit. Pretty close. <laughs> well, but I mean, so it's, it it's this fake documentary style where you're not winking at the camera, right. you're playing it straight, right. the characters are ridiculous, but they don't think they're ridiculous. Well, that's what a farce is. Yeah, but, it, but it's now it's, I mean, that style of movie, I mean, it's, it's very much associated with Christopher Guest, but other folks do it. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd see, I haven't seen that before. I think most people haven't. Not really. You know, we, I, I worked with um, uh, Jenna Rollins uh, shortly after we did Spinal Tap. And uh, she was married to John Cassavetes, of course. And and I, you know, I talked to her. I was on the set one day, and I said, you know, have you have, has John ever seen this movie? This is Spinal Tap. She said, No, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever seen it. So I said, Well, you, I, I think I'd really love for him to just to get his re reaction because he did improvise his films in rehearsal, right, and then nailed them down in in a script. So in a sense, the the uh, the cast kind of cooked cooked it down 
and that became codified on the page. Mike Lee uh, works in a similar way in a lot of, of what he does. And then he po- does a polish, right. and I think, I think Cassavetes did not as well. As, not as funny. Well, <laughs> no, no. But anyway, uh, it, but it was nice to hear that he, he thought it was, he really liked it a lot and, and uh, kind of was flattered that I, you know, I, I had made that connection with his work. And then Christopher Guest has gone on to make a bunch right. of these in that style. You're in that, you're in the, the repertoire. Did you know that that was going to be a thing he was going to do? Did he say, no. I, I want to make a bunch more like this? No. Uh, uh, I went to see Guffman, and I was, uh, like I say, I had a couple of songs in it, and I, was, I thought it was an amazing movie. It's one of the best comedies I've ever seen. And uh, then, you know, they said, we're going to do one about dogs, and that sounded like fun. And he said, well, I'm going to pair you and Michael Higgins up. This, you know, I had not met Michael at the time. We had a hilarious lunch, and we said, okay, we got this, you know. He's the balloon, I'm the string. That's our relationship. Yeah. And it, it really became very easy because he's, for one thing, he's, he's got a great uh, improvisational ear and brain. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I was just listening to him complain on Mark Maron's <laughs> podcast that this is now what he's pigeonholed with. And I thought that seems like a pretty good pigeonhole to be in. Well, it's different though if you get, uh, if you get cast in something where they want you to be kind of the do the, the same thing the Yoda yeah no they where they want you to help everyone else uh, do it you know it's kind of like if you know if your brother's an alcoholic and your parents call you to help straighten him out because you you don't drink anymore you know it's kind of like that I can't I can't wave a wand and make this guy or, you know uh, improvise better. You know, all I can say is just, you know, relax. If you don't have anything to say, shut the fuck up, you know? So you didn't do the last... <laughs> That's the technique, by the way. <laughs> Boil down. Wait, I stepped on it. Repeat, <laughs> repeat, repeat the technique? No, I just, if you don't have anything to say, shut the fuck up. But relax and listen. And if something does occur to you, by all means. But there is different level. I mean, you know, Catherine O'Hara is one of, the, one of the most amazing... She's a wonderful actress, but she's an amazing improviser. I mean, she really is stay, she stays right on the... Just right on the, the crest of the wave. Jennifer Coolidge, of course. Uh, you know, uh, Fred Willard, like I say, just he's got it. It's like a window into another universe with Fred, you know. So you didn't do the last one of these that was on Netflix because you're so ready Didn't to do show. Mas- mascots, yes. It's very, very funny. And But if uh, Christopher Guest calls you and says, we're doing another one, yeah, either? Sure. No reason not to. Uh, listen, Chris and I have been friends for many decades. I'm not even going to tell you how many. We can Wikipedia it. Yes, you can. We're going to take another quick break here so we can hear from our sponsors. Here's my friend Lauren Good from The Verge. Hi, this is Lauren Good of The Verge. We're all fans of something. Me, I'm a fan of yoga, and I'm just starting to get into meditation apps like Headspace, which I know are all the rage right now. I'm not quite sure I'm good at either of those things, but hey, I enjoy them and I enjoy reading about them. And the way that we consume culture is changing. So the way fandom works is changing for people too. I want to tell you about an awesome new podcast called Fan Club, which is about that change and why we love what we love. Fan Club is a short series hosted by Ross Martin, who has perhaps thought more about fandom than anyone else on earth. On Fan Club, Ross is trying to figure out the future of how we're going to watch, listen, and consume culture. He talks to amazing, brilliant people across the pop culture landscape, musicians, artists, fashion designers, chefs, even scientists, about how their work is being experienced today and how they think it will be experienced in the years to come. Fan Club will change the way you think about the things you love. This week, Ross talks to chef Tom Colicchio about how technology has transformed the way we eat. Listen now by subscribing to Fan Club on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Lauren. I'm back here with Michael McKean. You guys are involved in this lawsuit that Harry Shearer started? 
I can say no more. You can say no more. But I want to ask you a question, not about the lawsuit. Okay. But it is about the lawsuit. And you maybe say no more for that one, too. One of the reasons that people don't end up suing giant media conglomerates like Vivendi for, for back pay, essentially, is they're afraid that it's going to hurt their career in some way. Did you consider that before you signed no. on? Have no. you felt any effect since you signed I on? I didn't even say I have signed on. And now I've said too much. I think I read a public statement. All right. Anyone with, access, anyone with access to a computer can figure this part out. <laughs> the part that Michael McKean You can read a public about. statement that Comey was fired for something other than the Russian investigation. That's yeah, a public statement. Yeah, but listen, if, if Sarah Huckabee Sanders says it, it's, it's obviously oh true. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Should we talk about Saturday Night Live for, for a minute? Okay. That's, I was on for a minute. Yeah. A year. <laughs> uh, yeah. A year. A season and change. A season and change. Yeah. Did you leave because you wanted to leave, or no? They 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 cleaned house. Yeah, but um, the the year the main year I was on it was um, you know it wasn't not all the elements were gelling. Let's just put it that way. Uh, there was a guy who used to write a column for a New York newspaper, and every Monday he would say. Take this show off the air. It's terrible. Yeah. So you had to kind of, it was a little demoralizing. This is one of the recurring stories about Saturday Night Live is that every year, or very often, it is declared dead. Right. Yeah, every, every four or five years. Yeah. And it's like, listen, there's always time for another renaissance. You get to, you know, it's like, I remember a few years back when Taron Killam popped up and you go, okay, now they got this guy. And this, you know, this is a versatile guy. He's naturally funny and totally committed to what he's doing. Um, whereas Chris Elliott, who was on the same year I was, it was not a marriage made in heaven. It was, it was, Chris is a very special talent and one of the, one of the funniest men I think in the world. And it just, was it that one of the years tell. that Lauren Michaels was not involved or no, was, no, he was, was there? He was there. Was definitely, so, that, you bet, yeah. so could you guys tell sort of when, when you get there that fall that, oh, this is not, no, 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 no. You, you still, you try you muddle through you, it. You do what you can, you know, um, when it, it, a lot of it depends on who's hosting and what kind of what that yeah. trend is like, but when the season started, we had we had they, they already signed uh, we like I was running the place. They had already signed David Duchovny to to host later in the year, and about half the people on the show had no idea who David Duchovny was. And I was like, X Files, man, Dude, it's like it. one of the best shows on TV, and that's at the time I knew it was revolutionizing how TV looks. I mean. I was like, hey, let's do a really great looking movie every week. Which that, Vince Neil got wrote for. So hey, Vince, that's where I first met Vince. I, um, I did a couple. Are of you? Things. Do you consider yourself sort of a professional observer of that show, having been on it? No, no. Uh-uh. So you're not paying that. No, person. no. And uh, there are there are whole stretches that I have not seen. Uh, I haven't seen every episode of the X Files, but I. It's it's a great go to show when I when what else is on. Wait, are we talking about Saturday Night Live or talking no? I'm talking about X Files. Yeah, oh, I, I, was, I was thinking about Saturday Night Live. Oh, okay. I mean, haven't been on it. Do you sort of pay attention to yeah, how I that watch, season is doing? I watch and you know, listen. If there's, you know, there's funny people on. It's like I remember the first time I saw Fred Armisen. I said, "Wow, okay, we're thinking outside the box here. This guy is not like anything else." Do you ever trade notes with any of the the cast that's coming through? Or they don't want to hear from you, or, or vice versa. <laughs> no, it's fun to run into people yeah. who who had who have had experience on the show, you know. And it's uh, you know, but they this is you know, I was on twenty years ago, and it's just it's just it's different now. This year, because of Trump, and really because of Alec Baldwin and Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy, it's got it's a very much more topical show, at least in parts of it, than I think it had been in the past. That's true. Does that make sense to you? Good idea, or do you think it should be a little, sure. little less on the nose? I listen. 
what what it should be is is as funny as it can be. You know, it's like beyond that, and that's mysterious. You don't really know what's going to work, and and you just give it a shot. If you could pick any other show to work on besides Better Call Saul, would you, what would you want to work on today? Oh God, I don't know. What do you uh, what do you like What do you like watching the most? I like I like watching. I just like stumbling upon things, uh, and uh, you know, Ned and I are, are kind of like that. She she'll flag one down and say, which, you know, she, I'd be in New York and she's back in LA, let's say, and she and, and, you know, one of the girls, one of her daughters, you know, would watch something and say, oh, you're going to dig this, you're going to like this, or, you know, and so it's just, I, I give everything a shot, you know, I, I never, I try never to decide what I'm going to like. What's, what's stored up in your Netflix queue or equivalent of it? If it's I have the head. last episode of Bloodline, the last episode of season two of Bloodline to watch. I didn't I like very try much. the second season because I, I didn't finish the first season, but my wife liked it. But I assumed everyone was dead at the end of the first season. But Not I guess, everyone. Okay. They found some stragglers. Ben Mendelsohn is. Spoiler alert. <sighs> but he's, the best. He's, he's also in the second season a lot because there's a lot of flashback, a lot of uh, stuff like that. And he's such a cool actor to watch. You know? But the whole cast is great. That's, it's a really, really well cast show. Back to Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap it all up. It's a remarkable show for a bunch of reasons. One is... Is the pace of some of the individual scenes really slow? And it's they're great, and I really like that I'm watching. And it also strikes me, wow, this is an extraordinary thing. Do you guys talk about that? How sort of deliberate and I don't know. You can find a lot of different adjectives for it, but it's unlike almost anything else that's right. on TV. Well, we've we've seen a few episodes of this show, so we know sometimes there will be, uh, you know, it won't be choppy. We know that it won't be choppy. We know that every scene plays out. You know, you see a lot of shows, comedy and drama, where scenes don't really end. Not just TV, movies as well. Scenes don't really end. They're they're short, and they cut off, and they go to the next scene. Yeah. You know, and I, it's it's not what Vince and Peter do, really. It's not it, it's not the way these shows are written. They like shows that concentrate on process. They like watching Jonathan Banks for twenty minutes, not saying a word, and setting up like the sneaker gag, you know, right. with the, something like that. So what the hell is he doing? And just watching it unfold like that is just inherently interesting. There's a movie called Rafifi. Do you know this movie? No. It's a French crime thriller about these guys breaking into a, a safe to steal diamonds or something. And it's been a lot. Of, a lot of stuff has been lifted from it. It's from the early fifties or mid fifties, maybe. And there's a sequence in it that's 25 minutes with no dialogue. It's just the process of getting through these the wall. And I the get thought. process and I get no dialogue. And, right. and I can think of some of my favorite episodes of, of Breaking Bad or watching Jonathan exactly. Banks go exactly. around and, and set up stuff. The first episode of this season is John, a good portion of it, Jonathan Banks sitting in his house. Yeah. Waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not – There's the process is he's waiting. Yeah. And you wait. And you wait. And I think, wow, this is – Something you can do when you're really confident, both in your filmmaking yes. and the fact that you're not going to get taken off the air. Also, if you've got Jonathan Banks sitting in the middle of your shot, it's already interesting. Yeah. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who's like the less he does, the more power he does. One of my favorite things, last season I went out to dinner with Jonathan at one point, and he took a bite of his, uh, of his food, and it wasn't good. It just wasn't good. Oh, you don't want to serve Jonathan Banks. No, and food. he just... I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm audio only here, so you have to just imagine if Jonathan Banks doesn't want, doesn't like what you just put in, down in front of him, he's going to give the waiter a look, 
That is good. It's he's going to look at you so hard. It's good. Your <laughs> library card's going to expire. You know, it's that thing. It's it, it's uh, and he's so much fun. He's like such a. He's you know he doesn't like me to say this, but he's a lovely guy. So are and you, he is America's favorite badass. He's great. And yeah. but so so are you guys sort of conscious? Like this is a cool thing we get to do. If we were doing this somewhere else, we couldn't absolutely. do this. Absolutely, absolutely. And that goes for, I mean, this last episode that I haven't seen, but that was on last Monday with all this, all this courtroom stuff and all yeah. this high tension and, and concentration and everything. We don't ever think about it while we're doing it because we're too busy <laughs> doing, the, doing the acting part, you know. But we also know that because it's Vince and Peter in charge and, and – uh, you know, and Melissa and Nina and our other producers who are all just eagle eyes. They know we know it's going to hit the air looking good, and that they're going to do do what needs to be done. I love the idea that almost everything we do winds up in the show. A lot of times you'll say, "Ah, we didn't use that scene," or there's very little extraneous, and it's the writing is so good, and the writing is done by people who know what they want to see, and they hire the directors who will who will do that. We've got some wonderful directors. Great director. Have you done anything with them where you said, I don't think this is going to work. I know you guys know what you're doing, but this isn't going to pan out. No, no. I I pretty much understood. uh, There were a couple of times when I wasn't sure quite what they were doing. But as long as I – you know what? It doesn't matter so much if I don't know what I'm doing. It matters if Chuck doesn't know what he's doing. And I never had any questions about that. Yeah. It was real, real playable because they were very straight with me. I'm dying to ask you a question about – that show, but I really don't want to spoil it. So okay. we're going to do that part off here um, and we'll leave it there. Go watch Better Call Saul. Go okay. see Little Foxes. We don't care when you binge. <laughs> happy you listen. Michael, you can't binge theater. Remember that, folks. Yeah, you got to see it. Don't live. even try it. It's terrible if, if, if you go there and it's. Although Rosie O'Donnell no came and saw two in one day. She wanted to see both, both, oh, she, both so, ladies. Yeah, so you can so, binge if you're Rosie. You can. Well, huh? sure. You know, like I say, $6.95 used to be a top ticket price. <laughs> <laughs> things change things are the same yeah. Michael you're great thanks for coming thanks so much thanks to you guys for listening if you like listening to this stuff there's plenty more available for free I talked to W. Kamau Bell recently that was all super fun uh, Nick Bilton has a new book out we talked about that a genuine rock star Craig Finn was on the show go back and listen um, we'd love it if you subscribe we'd love it if you rate and review us but it's free so do what you like just come back and listen to more thanks to our sponsors Willis Towers Watson HostGator and Viacom thanks to Digital Media it's the company that sells those ads to those fine sponsors. And thanks to my producers, Beth O'Connell and Eric Johnson, to our editor, Chris Basil. Also, Sean Cherry, we miss you. We'll always think about you. Thanks for helping us for the last year. See you next week for another great episode.